What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ohioverse. It's going to be me and Greg again this week, and we're going to go ahead and talk about um, a little bit of college football and professional football. We're going to hit on the Guardians, Blue Jackets, and Cavs at the end as well. So let's go ahead and start out with Ohio State football. Obviously, they have a top 25 matchup this week against Penn State. And I kind of just wanted to get Greg's opinion on, you know, what he thought the key to victory was against Penn State this week. I mean, as long as our offense keeps filing, firing on all cylinders, I think we should be fine. I mean, the kind of the game against Michigan was a little rough for them, and they had that win over Minnesota. I think what was that, forty-five to seventeen? So it's nice to have a win in between two, uh, you know, devastating losses that they're they're gonna, you know, they're gonna have. Um, Ohio State's got a five-game win streak against uh, Penn State with going from 2017 to present. And if you take the series as a whole, Ohio State leads the series 22-14. to 14. I know that's not a huge gap. And obviously Penn State's had some great teams over the years. But right now I don't think that they're quite uh, – quite good enough to beat the likes of Michigan and Ohio state. They are six and one and, you know, in play and three and one in big 10 conference play. So uh, we'll definitely see. Uh, I don't think it's going to be too hard of a fight, but I think that, that Ohio state will definitely come out with that win. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that we'll win. I just, I don't want us to get caught um, sleeping. You know what I mean? I think that we should, we should be, we should be one of the best teams in the country. I think, you know, I would like to see CJ make less of those like risky throws that he's been making over the past um, four weeks or four games, I should say, um, and just kind of like maybe get through this game clean without an interception. I think he's had an interception the past four games and, and watching a lot of it, he likes to throw into triple coverage. And I just don't think that this is a team that you're going to be able to turn the ball over against and then not capitalize off of it. I don't think that their offense is like amazing, but I think if you turn the ball over, they're going to be able to capitalize with some sort of points, whether that's a field goal or a touchdown. I think uh, something good for us maybe to try to continue to do is try to develop that run game. The past, I think, last week against Iowa, um, it wasn't as good as it has been. So maybe try to get back out there and get back into running the ball um, and kind of control the clock, keep your defense off the field a little bit, keep them rested. Um, I think that defense is a lot better when they're not on the field as much. Obviously, you can't help it when the offense has a you know a big 50-yard play for a touchdown. They got to go right back out there. That is what it is. But I think once the game kind of goes um, on, try to control the clock a little bit more. And then just for the defense, like we have all season, you know, you got to stop the run. And I think Penn State is a little bit weaker in the past. So if we can make them pass the ball a little bit more and put them in situations to where they might be able to turn the ball over, I think that would be um, – That'd be my keys for victory this week. But the main one is CJ has got to stay clean um, in the interception column. I just think that he's been a little bit too risky with the ball. And I understand that, you know, our wide receiving court, Ohio State, is probably one of the best in the country. But, you know, you got to, if you want to be good at the next level, you have to make better decisions. And I think that he's been getting away with them because of how good they are. But as we start playing better talent, he's not going to get away with a lot of those. I mean, he's playing for a Heisman, so that you know that that's he's got to be a little risky and take some of those those opportunities to possibly just show off the dominance that they have. And I think that that's the case. Do we even know who's going to start for Penn State? Because I know Sean Clifford uh, exited with that that shoulder injury and was replaced by that freshman uh, Allar Allar Drew Allar. Um, so I don't even know if we're 100 percent on who is actually going to. 
to be playing, you know, for Penn yeah. State. Um, you know, and they, they haven't really, their offense is pretty stagnant. Um, they've only managed like 10 first downs on four of 12 third down conversions against the Michigan game. Um, so, I mean, that just shows even, you know, that and Michigan's got a, got a pretty decent defense. So um, I, I just don't see them doing a lot and scoring a lot. No, I mean, I don't, I don't think that they're going to blow us out. I'm just saying that, and that's that's why I said that we gotta we gotta shut down their run game so that we can force them to pass because I, I don't know who's gonna play quarterback like you said, and even when Sean Clifford plays, it's not like he's just you know the best quarterback out there on the field, and he hasn't been through his whole career there at Penn State. So if we can get him in the situations where he has to try to win the game passing the ball, um, I think that he's gonna put the ball in situations to where it can be intercepted. And I'm not saying CJ shouldn't throw you know those one on one balls down the field to you know Marvin Harrison Jr. I just think that there was, you know, three or four times in the in the last week when I was watching the game that he would throw into triple coverage. You know what I mean? I think that, like, those are little things that you can get away with right now in college football, especially with the talent that you have. But as you move on to that next level, he's going to have to, you know, look at that and recognize that that's what it's going to be before he throws it and then maybe either go somewhere else or, um, or try to pick up a couple yards on the ground. So... I don't know. As, as we get, like I said, as we get deeper into the season and we play Penn State, we play Michigan, you know, we go into the Big Ten Championship and then we go in the playoffs. Those those just aren't going to fly against, you know, a lot more of the top 25 teams, top 10, 15 teams in the country. So speaking of something that or somebody that we've been missing all season in Jackson Smith and Jigba, and obviously we saw him come out and play about, I think, a quarter and a half, almost two quarters, and he only had one catch for seven yards, but then he ended up re-aggravating his injury. And obviously we see we saw how long it took for him to kind of come back from the first one. Do you think that we ever see him play for Ohio State again? Do you think he maybe shuts it down for the season, gets ready for the draft? Um, or do you think he maybe tries to come back for the playoffs? I mean, I don't know how much you trust the media. All media and nowadays is pretty crooked. Um, really kind of comes down to it. Even Ryan Day has downplayed the aggravation to the hamstring, uh, saying that he was on a pitch count and the staff expected him to be restricted to like 20 plays or so. So and he had reached that by the first half. So you know, that was right in the range of what they wanted him to do, 20 plays, regardless of catches or not, you know, and he had that that hit that number on that last drive, and then that's why they pulled him out. So, uh, you know, he was targeted three times, one catch, uh, but according to Day and everybody else, they're not worried about it. It was a pitch count type of thing. Move forward on that. I mean, I hope so. I think that he definitely adds a different dimension to that, that offense and definitely a veteran wide receiver um, in there, but – I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the hamstring is is a tough one to come back from. That's one that like just nags at people for a long time, and and we've seen it kind of hinder even guys in the pros for multiple seasons. So I'm hoping that he can get right, and you know, I, I'd love to see him play on Sundays, but hopefully he can be back for us in the playoffs. But let us know what you guys think about um, Jackson, whether or not you think he might play for Ohio State again this season, or maybe he shuts it down. Um, maybe he comes back for another year if the season doesn't go the way he wants it. Who knows? Let us know what you think. Uh, let's go ahead and hit our other um, professional, not professional, sorry, our other college uh, football program within Ohio that is a top 25 team right now in Cincinnati. And I think what we've been through about like seven or eight weeks of college football now, 
How do you feel about their season thus far, Greg? I definitely think they're playing at the level that to be expected. I mean, they're six and one, you know, three, you know, in the American conference. Um, they've won their 19th in a row against uh, American athletic conference opponents. Um, and then uh, Luke Fickle is now the program's most all winning coach with 54 victories passing Rick Minter. Um, so they've had some sloppy undisciplined play, you know, over the course, but they've, they've gritted it out and they've come away with the wins. So, um, I think the penalties are what's going to get them the most. They've uh, committed 14 of them for 127 yards in that last game. So that, that's that's a huge chunk. As long as they can keep away from the penalty, penalties, I think that they can uh, secure a winning record at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, they've been very, like, I want to say kind of, I guess, average this season within college football. Like, I don't think that they've broken um, – into the top 20 for teams in any category. But, you know, when you talk about like their quarterback play with Bryant, like he hasn't been amazing as 1800 yards, but he's 15 touchdowns, six interceptions. So he's very like, definitely not at the level we saw Desmond Ritter. So I think that's kind of hurt them a little bit. Um, I think we, we obviously thought that there would be a little bit of a, a decline there at the quarterback play, but hoping that it wasn't that much. I think the one thing, you know, the one bright spot that you can look at is like rushing wise, they have two top 15 rushers in the American conference, one with 631 yards and then their um, sophomore runner in Keener who has 300 yards and five touchdowns. So that's something good. Hopefully they can build off of, and he can be the centerpiece um, next year in that offense, especially with, you know, maybe the quarterback position not being completely solidified unless they get maybe another transfer in or something like that. Um, <clears throat> goodness gracious. We're both coughing yeah. it up. <laughs> um they do have, and then they do have two top 15 wide receivers in their conference as well, too, but they're both upperclassmen. One's a senior, one's a junior. So, you know, with them having the success that they're having this season, we could probably see them going into the draft this year. So, you know, that kind of doesn't bode well for them, you know, next year, unless there's a next man up kind of mentality, if they can kind of, if they have that uh, youth coming in, in the next couple draft classes, not draft classes, next couple recruiting classes. The one bright spot that I did see when I was kind of looking through their stats was um, Pace Jr., I know that there's two brothers, um, but the one is leading the American uh, conference in tackles of 71 and then seven sacks. He's leading the conference in uh, sacks as well. So, and I think he has a forced fumble and maybe an interception, I think, because he plays a linebacker position, but um, but we definitely look for him to go to the draft. He's a senior this year. So he's definitely been like a bright spot on that defense. Their defense is a little bit more polished than their offense. Obviously Luke Fickle is a defensive kind of guy, but I don't know. I think for them to continue to win and keep that 19 game win streak, like you mentioned going um, in the American conference and to win another American conference title before they um, go to the, what is it? ACC. I do think that they're going to need to get better quarterback play from Bryant. But other than that, I don't think they're having an awful season. I just think that they're just not as good as what they were last season, but we kind of knew that when you have eight guys that go in the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, then that's what I was just about to say. You lost eight guys to the NFL draft, so it's it's definitely not the same team. And you know that was a a, a record for Cincinnati for their their program to go in. And so you're replacing that with a lot of young guys. And what's great with with Luke Fickle is that you know getting them to the playoffs last year it allowed the notoriety and you know that that um, what's the word I'm looking for the the recognition 
recognition thank you that yeah. that uh you know on the national level that is going to maybe change somebody else's opinion to maybe play for cincinnati rather than mm-hmm. play at a different school and so their recruiting prowess is is greater than it ever has been before and that's only going to allow them future successes moving forward because of all that notoriety um it, it's just going to benefit them and you know i don't see cincinnati dropping down you know below a, a top 25 school for for a long time so I, i'm looking forward to it yeah i mean i can i can totally see them being you know within this like i guess if you want to call it midwest kind of area that we're in you know with these states in here i can see them being like you know being or becoming the fourth you know team that that these kids kind of look to you know obviously you have ohio state you have michigan you have notre dame i think cincinnati could slide into that fourth spot you know they'd be competing with you know teams like penn state uh maybe michigan state or wisconsin but i think that they could slide themselves into that spot and be and be a program that luke fickle could go out there and continuously get you know three, four, maybe even like a five-star guy here and there from this Midwest area um, and take some guys away from some of these other Big Ten schools um, or ACC schools um, like West Virginia and Pitt and stuff like that as well, too. I think that that's um, that he's building a program there that people are going to want to be a part of. And like you said, taking them to the playoffs last year and and not laying – they didn't lay an egg against Alabama. They just ran out of gas towards the end. So you, you know that he's able to coach – coach guys to that level and i think that that guys really uh really like you know watching that and would want to play for him so we'll have to see as they continue to progress but i think this season they just got to get better quarterback play that's the only thing for this season and then we'll kind of go into next and and see what they look like so moving forward i know we've had this discussion before but where do you see him um luke fickle staying or luke fickle moving up the ranks as far as as different teams or or i know that's been the conversation for us in the past and we were both kind of um i was on one side of the fence you were on the other and so kind of just want to get your opinion on do you think that that's a plausibility still or because of the success it's going to ground him to stay i don't know man i think I think ideally I would love for him to stay, right? I would love for him to stay and build the Cincinnati program um, to be a powerhouse program within college football. I would, I think that that would be an awesome story, right? <laughs> Realistically, I think he's waiting for the Ohio state job to open up. He's waiting for Ryan day to make the move to the NFL. When, when, however long that takes, I think once Ryan day wins his first national championship, I think it's only a matter of time before he decides to make the move to the NFL um, only because he has the experience in the NFL already because that's where he started. And I think that that's just kind of a lot of coaches want to try to take that shot. And I think that the next the next best coach to take over at Ohio State would be Luke Fickle, and I think he would take that job. Um, but I just don't – I think if that job never opens up at the right time, I, I think he'll stay at Cincinnati for a long time unless they start to not have very much success and they kind of get rid of him. But – I think that he'll be there for the majority of his coaching career. I mean, at least I'm hoping. What'd you think? Oh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, uh, (laughs) you're going to throw that back at me. Um, I just don't see Ryan day moving on anytime soon. And, and it, it, I think the longer Ryan day stays, the more stay put that, that Luke fickle is going to be. Um, And it gets to a point where, 
if you see that that's, you know, I don't know if you necessarily want to be coaching into your 60s or 70s and, and I see him staying more for the long term than than moving on, especially if you've been a coach for, you know, 15, 10 years at, at, a, at a particular program. It's a lot harder to move on after the fact and move up to that the upper levels, which he rightfully deserves. But mm-hmm. I, the longer day stays, the less likely that he'll move, even if day does move on and that spot opens up. I'm leaning towards it, staying still, but you know, I could be wrong. I've been wrong a lot before in my life, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, that would be a tough, like, just moving out of Cincinnati to go to Ohio State, especially if you built it up to be, you know, more of a powerhouse team within college football. I mean, I guess it all just depends on on what they look like five years from now, like what, what he looks like as a head coach five, five years from now. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's that's really the biggest thing. I think it – Depends on what Ohio State looks like five years from now. It looks like what college football <laughs> looks like five years from now because obviously we basically are just building two super conferences at this point. And I just don't know what that means for college football in the future. So I, I don't know. It's definitely interesting. It's a lot of factors that are going to go into it. But Yeah, completely. This is a, uh, we could have just an episode on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's go ahead and stay in Cincinnati and we'll talk about you know, the Bengals and the Browns here up next. Obviously they play each other this week within the NFL. And I, I don't know how this matchup is going to go. I personally feel like the Bengals are going to win it. And I just kind of don't want to get your opinion, Greg, on, on who you thought was going to win and and why. No, it's definitely the Cincinnati is going to come over with the, you mean, come away with the victory. It's, it's, it's not even a question in my mind. You know, they had a huge day against the Falcons, uh, you know, last week, and uh, they didn't even allow a score in the second half, which was crazy. Burrow was passing for, you know, close to 500 yards and three touchdowns. And I feel like they're starting to find their momentum a little bit. Obviously, last year they had a little bit of a shaky start as well, but, you know, once they got in a groove, it just, you know, lights out. I know I said some of those wins were garbage, but, you know, maybe looking back on that, It seems to be that they weren't garbage. They were just, you know, how it was supposed to be. Um, The Browns are two and five. Um, You know, they just look horrible. Even though Nick Chubb had a solid day, uh, you know, he couldn't come away with it on that final drive. And now they're on a four-game losing streak. And I don't just see Jacoby Brissett doing anything spectacular. I think that they probably could have done better with Baker uh, at this point, but you know, that's just me. So um, the Bengals do have a kind of an injury ridden defense and that might struggle to contain Nick, might struggle to contain Nick Chubb. Um, But if, you know, if Burrow finds what he found last week, I think that they should be able to go to victory. It's easy. The only thing that worries me about this game is when you look at the Browns, like defense, especially pass rush wise, um, it's a lot like the Steelers pass rush and the Steelers dominated the Bengals up front in that first week. You know, obviously the Steelers aren't, I don't think anywhere close to a full, like the full caliber wise of their team to the Bengals. I, I think the Browns are, are in the similar boat. 
Um, I think they're a little bit better than the Steelers, though, especially if you were to have an actual quarterback um, starting there. But I do think that their front seven is pretty similar in um, skill wise. So that's the only thing that worries me about the Bengals offensive line and, and how many sacks or how much pressure Joe Burrow is going to be under. Because we've seen when he gets, you know, when there's a lot of pressure that's put on him, that he's not able to perform at the level that we expect him to. And, and nobody really is. But if they can kind of get, if they can hold the front seven of the Browns and like you, like you said, I think that they're clicking at the right time. Now I think him and Jamar chase are, are clicking with each other at the right time going into this season. And hopefully they can keep the momentum going. What would, what would this win or loss mean for either team? You know, what would the win mean for the Bengals? What would the loss mean win for the Bengals? What would the win mean for the Browns? And what would the loss mean for the Browns and, and, in your mind here? I mean, the only thing I'm going to really touch on is maybe the win for the Browns would possibly galvanize the team a little bit and, you know, get, get a little bit of a a swag going and maybe they could take that momentum into the next few games after that. Um, But I I think the win for Cincinnati would be expected and it's just par for the course of what they expect out of their season I think that they have the mentality that they're a winning football team and they're going to move forward as such. Whereas I definitely look at it since they're at um, Cleveland and I just see that the, the, the whole team seems to be deflated. I mean, we've heard nothing from Kareem Hunt, you know, all season. So Nick Chubb has basically carried the weight of that. Um, I would just be highly suspect if, if, Browns come out with this win, um, but you know who knows. If the Browns lose, do you think their playoff chances are completely gone for the season, even when Deshaun Watson comes back? Or their playoff chances were done when they signed Deshaun Watson. <laughs> uh, I just again, we could talk about this till we're blue in the face, but you've already seen that they don't have what's going on there. They're you know two and five. Um, I don't mm-hmm. see running the table even when Deshaun comes back you know I think it's going to take even just a couple games to get him even into the groove again uh, as far as being able to really uh, get to the caliber in which he thinks he can be Uh, but their playoff chances are gone they were non-existent from the beginning of the season Alrighty. Well, let us know at home, guys what you think about you know the Browns obviously the Bengals and the the Ravens are tied for the AFC North let us know who you think wins that and comes out on top and and let us know what you think about the Browns and their playoff hopes. And if you have an opinion on how crappy the Steelers have been, <laughs> let us know about that too. So uh, we're going to go ahead and move into baseball and talk about the Guardians. Obviously, they you know suffered the loss to the Yankees in the, in the playoffs, and, and the Yankees ended up losing to the Astros. So we got an Astros versus Phillies World Series. But, you know, Greg obviously is one of our baseball experts here at the podcast. So I kind of want to get his opinion on what the guardians could add to their team so that, and they can end up beating teams like the Yankees or the Astros next year in the playoffs. I mean, let's not get it twisted. They, they almost beat the Yankees, you know, when it came down to it, they, they brought it to five games, which was not expected at all. And you got to give so much credit to Terry Francona and that team for grinding it out. I know we talked about it last episode, but you know, they are just, it's funny, the more research I do on this team, the more excited I get for Cleveland. And I'm a Red Sox guy, so, I, you know, I mean, I've got that in my pocket. But, <laughs> but 
just looking at, you know, what they were able to accomplish. And, and I honestly believe that the reason why the Yankees lost to the Astros is because Cleveland completely just gutted them as far as, as, as momentum, as far as, mm-hmm. you know, getting to their pitchers, um, their bats, everything. It was just, you know, Cleveland helped Houston beat, you know, the Yankees because they just depleted their energy. So, but going back to your topic or back to your your question, the two big roster things that they need moving forward to be competitive at a higher level than the Yankees or Astros moving forward is a veteran star pitcher and a legit power hitter. Um, I'll start on the veteran pitching first. I mean, obviously you've got a right-hander in Shane Bieber, uh, also right-hander in Tristan McKenzie, right-hander in Quantrill. Uh, Savale and Plasek. I was messed those names up. Um, <laughs> all, all you know, twenty-seven or younger. So we really need is the left-handed pitcher. Um, you know, somebody who's who's going to be able to to attack the plate on different levels, and and get to some of those bats that you know those right-handers couldn't necessarily dominate against, and you can't rely on your bullpen of lefties to necessarily get through those orders when, you know, the righties have already given up runs in the first, you know, three or four or five innings. So there's a lot out there that's uh, possible. Tyler Anderson, he's a left-handed pitcher from the Dodgers. He's 32. Um, Sean Mencia is Padres. He's 30 lefty. Uh, Jose Quantana, left-handed pitcher out of uh, Cardinals, also 33. Uh, if you got Lyles, uh, he's a righty from the Orioles. Um, so that's maybe you need, I think the Orioles have a club option on him. But then Ross Strippington, uh, uh, Stripling, I'm sorry, um, is a righty from the Blue Jays, 32 as well. Um, obviously, there's a lot of other free agents out there that could add to this, but those are just some of the guys that I kind of thought could fit in the mix. And it, having a veteran pitcher in there kind of, is going to give a little bit more to these young kids that are, are um, maybe, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, get a, get a case of the yips and get to a little, a little too excited and, and a little too, uh, I, I don't know what to do in this type of situation and to have somebody to lean on and say, you know, what should I do? What, how should I look at this? You know, from a veteran that just seems more logical. And I think that would help them, uh, exponentially that's a no i know that's a big word but actually <laughs> would help them in their situation uh for that adding that left-handed veteran pitcher uh the legitimate power hitter um i know we talked about this before cleveland had the second fewest home runs at 127 whereas the uh, i believe it was the tigers only had 111 uh, and they took it to five games off of a Yankees team that had 257 home runs in in their season. So, you know, if you can get uh, a power hitter behind Ramirez and behind some of these young guys that are obviously showing that they can score and they can win their the the lead the league in stone bases, uh, extra base hits. So, it's there and just getting those guys on base and getting the guy that can drive the ball into the stands. Um, on a consistent basis would be fantastic. 
Um, Jose Abreu for the White Sox, uh, 36. Um, there is word that the Chicago Cubs are very interested in signing him, so that could not happen. But you've got Josh Merrill of the Padres, um, Sano of the Twins, Mancini of the Astros. Um, and it's, it's hard for me to say, but you've even got J.D. Martinez, the Red Sox, coming over. You know, he's 35, maybe finished his career, but he's he's got that power bat. And I think that that's really something that, that could add to them and, and move them forward. And I would kind of like to see, you know, even though Frantona didn't coach J.D. Martinez, would like to see, you know what I mean, the ex-Red Sox coach and an ex-Red Sox batter, you know, combined together. I think that would be fun for Ortiz and uh, A-Rod to talk about when it comes to playoff time. Yeah. Do you think – I mean, I, I don't think it's very likely, but do you think there is a chance that maybe – Aaron Judge doesn't stay with the Yankees and maybe the Guardians are a team that, that he'd be interested in landing with only because of they're pretty much a team set off set up for the playoffs for the next, you know, four or five seasons. I mean, a lot's been said with this. I mean, he's been booed in his own stadium and, and that could be the catalyst to moving on. Uh, you know, that that's, that's hard to take when you did what you did in the regular season and then just to get booed. Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, um, you know, I want to say that his character um, is, he seems, for lack of a better term, he's a phenomenal individual. He's He's got character out the ass. He's just a, a, a great dude. He's a great ball player. He's great in the clubhouse. He's great with the fans. He, he's just, there's nothing bad to say. You know, you can say what you say about, you know, Jeter had his moments and, and a, obviously A-Rod and some of those big names that were Yankees had their moments, um, you know, but they, they stuck true to the Yankees. Obviously Aaron Judge has got some affinity with the Yankees. And I would say that I would be more impressed with his character if he moved on from the Yankees, but that's just, you know, me being hopeful that the Yankees lose in every capacity imaginable because I hate them. <laughs> um, but some, there's some thing about the Yankees mystique that when players get sucked into that orbit, they just, it's hard for them to get out. You see all these players, mm-hmm. big name teams to come to the Yankees, but you don't really ever hear. And this is something I'll have to look up because I don't, there's nobody off the top of my head that I can, say has done it but that went from the yankees as a high you know was a high impact you know high level free agent that left the yankees to go some play somewhere else i just it, i can't think of it so the statistical aspect of it i don't see it happening would i love for it to happen yes but and i don't what i think is we're crazy about judges it won't be about the money though it will not be about the money it'll be about you know dedication to the team and uh, loyalty to the fan base that's going to bring him and or keep him for lack of yeah i do think that there is a number that like he i think he wanted like 30 a year or something like that which i think is pretty fair for what he's been doing i think he just wanted market value pretty much um but i don't know i get the question i just proposed it because you know the guardians aren't known for really spending that kind of money on one on one guy but to to add you know, a guy who could get you consistently 45 plus home runs a year, you know what I mean? On a five-year, six-year deal or something like that. Like, 
I think at that you said they had like 126 home runs last year. I mean, that would give them upwards of 170 home runs on the season right there. If, if everybody hit the same amount of home runs, you know, but obviously these young guys are going to get better. So maybe that, that adds that, that big bat that they need. And then they can go out there and add a veteran pitcher, like you said, but obviously I don't think it's necessarily going to happen. I think he'll end up staying because it's New York. It's the Yankees. They have the money. It's just an endless pit of money that they have. So uh, they'll pay him because he's, honestly probably approaching that category of one of the the great Yankees to ever play the game um, if he continues on this path that he's going. So I don't think they just want to let him go for nothing. But let's go ahead and talk a little bit of hockey. Um, If you guys haven't been keeping track of the Blue Jackets, they've kind of had a bad start. So they're three and five on the season so far with a goal differential of negative eight. If you don't know what that means, that means that teams have outscored them pretty much eight goals. Um, so if you take their total goals scored and the total goals against teams have outscored them by eight and last night they played against the coyotes, which the blue jackets were booed in their own home stadium after a pretty bad loss. So I think obviously last season, we didn't expect this team to really make much noise. And at the beginning of the season, they started out pretty hot. And then this season, there's been lots of expectation of them to, at least compete for a playoff spot this year and they've started out slow. So, you know, I guess in your opinion, Greg, from, from just that, like, what do you, what do you view that this team is probably the trajectory of what they might look like the rest of the season? I mean, it's, it's early, like it's early. And I know you get like last season when they started out a little bit better, you know, you get, your hopes up and you get jumpy and you know oh this could be the year this could be the year and and it, we've seen it in any uh any sports that you know a team that could have a rough rocky start at the beginning and then you know fix it down the line especially with trade deadlines and with just people you know getting used to their 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 lines and and coaches and just you know a lot of things could happen so i'm not i'm not selling the farm quite yet you know give me another couple months and, and then we can have this discussion again um you know goal differential there the thing is is that they are scoring goals but they're losing games three to six you know two to five you know what i mean they're scoring they're just the goalies are being scored on at a higher frequency and you know that's something that that we have to look at like i said they're living up to their score potential but they're they're not holding anybody back and and keeping ties or, you know, keeping wins like that. So Mm -hmm. that's something we can talk about later on down the road. Yeah. Their defense was a big question mark last year too. And I know with, you know, with the changing of head coaches, we, we went from a very like grit and grind defense style kind of game to more of a, you know, high flying offense. And I think that we've seen, that shift, but they have to still be able to play good defense. They can't let six goals, you know, go in. The goalies can't do that. The defense can't do that. They have to be able to help out their goalies. And I think that maybe once we get closer to the trade deadline, if this is a team that they want to compete for a playoff spot, they're going to have to make a big move and and upgrade their defense. If not, then, you know, maybe they kind of tough it out this year and try to upgrade it in the off season or, or whatever it may be, but we've seen this team go all in, you know what I mean? I, or, or make moves to to help, you know, preserve a season. So we'll kind of see what happens going forward. But obviously the defense yeah. is still a question mark from last year. 
and and bad on you columbus you know for booing your own team that's just it's not a classy thing to do you know you you ride or dies uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I just i don't any fan base that boons boos their own team you know there's different ways to express the uh, displeasure of what's going on and and booing them on the home ice is just it shows the other teams that that even you know your home city doesn't care about you so why would any other player of a big name caliber want to come to columbus mm-hmm. when that's what's going to happen and so it, you know if columbus and i'm calling out columbus if you want you know uh, big names to come and start playing you know change your attitude and stop booing them at home it's just not you know it's not classy and it doesn't work and it's never that them galvanized to want to do better, want to play better when they just come home and get booed. So yeah, it really sucks the life out of everything too. You know, like obviously this is still, I think people forget to, this is still a young team. Like this is not, these aren't veteran guys. A lot of them, you know I mean? This is a young team. A lot of these guys that are playing were just drafted the past two or three seasons, you know, and they're young guys. They're a lot of these guys came from the minor league system. So it's going to take time for this team to really kind of build and get into a rhythm. It's the second year of a head coach, like those kinds of things, you know? So, and like you said, I mean, we, as a city, we fought so hard for the Columbus crew and we support them, even though they had an up and down season, I don't think they ever got booed. So, you know, give, give the boot jacket some time, give them some credit. Like, like Greg said, I, I think that that's something that you can't you. Yes, it sucks to lose six to three, but booing your own team, booing your own players like we're not even it's not even like we're at the end of the season and they didn't win any any games. You know what I mean? Like if, if we were at the end of the season and they hadn't won any games and it didn't look like they were trying or they didn't care or whatever it may be. then I think that's a little bit of a different story, but we're literally what, seven games into the season. So why don't we slow a roll a little bit and let these guys play and let them get some chemistry to go in together. You know what I mean? I think that's completely different. Exactly. So, but let's go ahead and move up North to finish out our episode here with the Cavs and not that they've done bad. I mean, they're, they're two and one. They, they lost that first game against the Raptors, which Greg and I had them winning, but I think the main reason was that is the Raptors aren't a bad team, but we also lost Darius Garland um, in the middle of that game, he ended up getting like poked in the eye and they cut the inside of his eyelid. Um, and he's pretty much slated to be out for at least the rest of this week, I think, if not maybe the following week. It just depends on how long it takes the swelling to go down and, and, and how long it takes them to get in there and kind of see what the damage is. But, you know, obviously we predicted the first 10 games. I think both of us predicted them to be around like seven and three. So does this change your, you know, your predictions going forward? Or do you still think this team will be right around seven and three towards the end of those uh, 10 games, even without Darius Garland, if he doesn't play? Yeah, I think that I'm sticking to what we discussed last episode. I think that, you know, Donovan Mitchell is who he is. He's looked good. Uh, Everybody else has looked good. And so I, 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 uh, they're obviously going to lose the the big games. I think you know the Boston games and stuff like that. Um, you know, I had them losing against the Lakers. You had them losing against the Clippers. I think in that that mm-hmm. third off on that. Um, maybe I'll give you the Clippers now because the the Lakers haven't looked phenomenal. Either. Yeah, they're garbage. <laughs> but Boston has looked lights out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I'm like so as a Celtics fan, I was like, uh, and for those of you who don't know, all my family's from Boston. I'm not a bandwagon guy, 
Uh, all my family, you know, mom and dad, both born and raised in Boston. So I have affinity for Boston sports based on that. So just in case you're wondering. No, he's a bandwagon fan. Yeah, bite me. <laughs> so I think that they're going to, you know, and, and all the teams around the league. And again, we're, we're three, four games into to the season. So everybody's getting their legs you know, ready and it just we'll, we'll see. We'll move forward. You know, the Raptors was surprising, but you know they won two games after that. So, um, again, slow your roll. Um, we'll, we'll, I think I think we're fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't know if we'll quite go seven and three, but I I do think we come out of this ten game stretch at least five hundred or better. You know what I mean? I do think that the Clippers are probably a loss now without Darius. Both those Celtics games are probably a loss without Darius. And, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are looking nice. So I think that's a team that uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a team that probably is going to be in our way if we want to make it to the finals or make it to the, you know, the conference finals. But um, but yeah, I, I just I think that'll be fun. And, and Donovan Mitchell, I think a lot of people forgot I was listening to um, like the radio station here in Columbus. And they were like, I think we forgot that he was like a legit superstar. And like, that's something I don't think a lot of people like realize with that trade is, you know, we had Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, who are kind of budding, you know, stars within the league that could potentially become superstars within the league. But we traded and got like a, a legit superstar, somebody who's going to go out there and they can get you 30 plus points a game and they can lead your team. And, and I think that that's something that is just super important and it's going to help us win a lot of games this year. And, and and those young guys are going to be able to progress so much faster with him on that team now. And one thing I've noticed, and then maybe I can't compare this to last season, uh, but I just seems, it seems like they're having fun. Mm-hmm. It seems like the energy is good between them all. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, joking on, on the side of the bench. It just seems like they're, uh, they're not downtrodden. It's just a lot of energy moving forward. So uh, I'm uh, nice to see, um, and uh, hopefully that transfers onto the court and and translates into wins. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have three. Like, I mean, you wouldn't think Kevin Love would be considered a, a high energy veteran player <laughs> from what we got from him. You know, after LeBron left for a couple of years, but you know, with him and Robin Lopez and, you know, Ricky Rubio being a part of the team again, once he starts, you know, playing after his injury, like those are three really like they, they really like high energy veteran guys that are super smart, know the game. And I think that's really help helping give that kind of atmosphere that you're talking about. And that's just driving them forward. And like I said, with Donovan Mitchell, being a bona fide superstar. I think this is a team that's going to be a little bit more dangerous than what other teams maybe thought. And, you know, I'm really excited to watch them for this season. So, but let's go ahead and end the show with our famous little double, double take segment. We ended up figuring it out that we're just going to keep it the double take segment, but each of us are just going to do one thing because technically that's two things. So you can still call it a double take segment. So I'll let Greg go ahead and go first and give his one thing. So do you believe in ghosts? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like a, yeah, probably. <laughs> we, I, I've had this discussion with many people and like, there's this whole weird thing about it. It's, you know, ghosts are really uh, apparitions of uh, like uh, a thin line in the space time uh, continuum and that you know, all you're really just seeing is is a figment from uh, the, the past and that mm. it's not really uh, 
quite yet a, a, a spirit, but it's just uh, you, the space-time fabric is very thin in a spe specific area, and that's why you're able to view what you perceive to be a ghost, but it's really somebody from the past. <laughs> what? What does this have to do with Ohio? <laughs> uh, okay, so, sorry, sorry. <laughs> anyway, okay, no, I mean, that's like totally mind-blowing, to... but... <laughs> trying to set up like the 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 you know the, okay. the scenario okay so uh ghost stories in ohio and i think that's a lot of fun there's a lot of spooky places in ohio but um one that kind of came up all the time as i was doing my research on on spooky ohio things is emma jean remus and the most haunted place in uh cincinnati is the place called the Springhouse Gazebo in Eden Park, and it is home of Cincinnati's most famous ghostly legend. Imogene Remus in 1927 was murdered by her husband, George Remus, a known bootlegger who had been recently released from a three-year-long stint in prison. Uh, on the day of her death, Imogene was driving through Eden Park on her way to the courthouse to divorce George when he stopped her cab and shot her in the stomach. To the horror of onlookers, including Imogene's daughter, George Remus, walked away. He hitched a ride to the police station and turned himself in. The Charles followed, uh, followed became uh, notorious due to the fact that George Remus pled temporary insanity and was acquitted of his wife's murder. Imogene Remus allegedly haunts the gazebo Eden Park wearing all black and often appearing at dusk and dawn, sightings of her are the most common in autumn. So if you want to meet her, Now's the time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's insane. That's just a sad story. How did he get off? I hate the criminal justice system, man. What the hell? Oh, <laughs> In the 1920s, it wasn't wasn't hard to to say your cuckoo for cocoa puffs and, and possibly get off. So yeah, I guess that's fair. But I that's insane. To, we should we should take a we should take like a deep dive sports podcast group trip down to cincinnati and and see if we can uh see if we can talk to her for the podcast maybe do an interview oh oh that was that her i don't know i don't even know where that came from <laughs> <What the heck? laughs> okay all right let's go ahead and move on because uh i'm not trying to get haunted in my own house so. <laughs> all right <laughs> let's move to a more fun lighthearted one <laughs> that i have so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump on your uh your little ohio like facts bandwagon thing because i think that's super cool um and i have one for you what what like fictional superhero character was um created by two ohio people superman yeah it actually is superman i thought I, I thought i remembered that <laughs> yeah i was like i was like that's so cool. I didn't is so Superman was created by two men from Cleveland, Jerry Siegel and then Joe Schuster. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. Just like a cool little fun fact that like, I guess Cleveland probably when they created it in 1933, Cleveland was more of a powerhouse city within, you know, the United States. So definitely something interesting that when they created Superman, maybe in their minds, they thought of him protecting the city of Cleveland. So that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Maybe we'll create our own comic book here of Superman protecting Ohio. Interesting. <laughs> Deep Duck Sportsman. Deep Duck Sportsman. Yes. Yes. That's pretty cool. 
the the DDS across the chest. I love that. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> what would his superpowers be? Being able to watch all sports all the time. All oh, of oh my gosh. He's like the Doctor Strange of sports. That'd be yeah. cool. He can just like, or he can multiply so he could watch everything. He's like, that'd be, yeah, interesting. Okay. Got a super big brain. Looks like Magneto. <laughs> or Megamind. <laughs> Let's go with Megamind. That sounds a little bit more. Yeah. Sorry, not Meg, not Magneto, Megamind. <laughs> we don't have the copyright to any of these characters, by the oh, way. Yeah, yes, yes. Good thing we don't monetize any of this. <laughs> but yes, yeah. I mean, if you guys want to go down and uh, see some ghosties in Cincinnati, definitely uh, follow Greg's uh, plan down there. And you, maybe if you call her name out, maybe she'll come and hang out with you or haunt you. I don't know. Definitely interesting. Um, and then... Yeah, we have our very own superhero that was created here in Cleveland, Ohio. So there you go. But this is another episode of Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports. Um, Greg and I love doing these. Definitely comment down below if there's something that you want us to talk about that we don't normally talk about on the show. So other than that, uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ohioverse. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio, go ahead and follow Ohioverse Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one.